Uh, but uh, anyway, we're going to be looking at the book of Chronicles. I've been in the book of Chronicles for about uh, two months now, eight weeks. And uh, during that time, we have, we have highlighted a couple of different things uh, that I just want to share with you this morning. So our proposition to you this morning is this. First of all, I want to encourage you to read the Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. Yeah, I know. It's one of those books you get to and you go, yeah, Lord, do I have to really read this? You know, let's just, let's just blow over this thing, you know, between that and Leviticus. Now, if I, if I ever get invited back again, I'll preach on the book of Leviticus for you, all right? Um, so, uh, you know, it's kind of like extracting a, t- a bad tooth, something like that. But the, the book of Chronicles, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing history book. And with it, as you read through the book of Chronicles, there are several attributes in the book of Chronicles. But the one attribute that we're going to highlight today is the steadfast love of the Lord. And in keeping with your theme this morning, The steadfast love of the Lord ought to bring to us great joy because of God's work in our lives. There was a there's a man by the name of Larry Richards. He wrote the Bible, the Bible Readers Companion. And in in, in this overview of the Chronicles, he made this statement. He said, History itself is a call. To worship. Hmm. History. History is his story. And we look at if we look at history as, as God's story, all of it. It ought to cause us to say, God, you are you are a worthy God. It's a call to worship and it's an invitation to hope. As, as, as the record of the Chronicles has been given, it surely was that. So, so this morning, there's only two points. Number one, the Chronicles is a repeat of Jewish history. That's our first point. Our second point is the Chronicles is a reminder of the rich attributes of God. And we're going to highlight his steadfast love. So... Uh, in order for you to kind of get this, all right, to read, to, to look at the book of 1 Chronicles, context is always king, all right? When you read a book from the Bible, you want to look at the context. You want to see when was this written, who wrote it, and for what reason. So this morning, I'm just going to give you a little illustration. Maybe it'll help you understand the book of Chronicles and, and encourage you to read it. It is history. It's a record of history. We do not know who wrote Chronicles. We'll just call him the Chronicler, okay? Uh, Some folks think it was Ezra, all right? Maybe, maybe it was, but God doesn't tell us that. But what we find is this. It was a time of history when the Jews, after their 70-year captivity in Babylon, Cyrus, the Persian king, and Cyrus himself is just an amazing guy. You know, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet wrote 125 years later, earlier. And 125 years earlier, Isaiah has this revelation from God. And I love this when you read the prophets, because God gives them revelation. And you can almost see Isaiah go, huh? What? The Lord said to Isaiah, I want you 
to record about my servant, Cyrus. Who's Cyrus? Never mind, Isaiah. Just put it down. Because Cyrus is coming 125 years later in my providence, in my sovereignty. I'm going to raise up a man. He's going to be a Persian. And he's going to be my servant. Well, here we are. Cyrus has defeated the Babylonians. And Cyrus, the Persian king, says, The Lord has told me, Jewish people, it's time for you to go back to your land and to build the foundation of the temple. Now, you might remember that, okay? But that's the setting. So we have about 50,000 people, Jewish people, ready to go back to the promised land. Now, many of these had never seen the promised land. They They were born in Babylon. Persia now. Now, there were a few. There were a few because one of the post-exilic prophets tells us when the temple was finally finished, the old men looked at it and they cried. You know, I've, I've read that passage of Scripture so many times, I'm not quite sure why they cried. I'm not sure if they cried because it didn't have the grandeur of the Solomonic temple or because they cried because now our place to meet our God is finished. There's probably a blend of both. But just for illustration this morning, there was about 50,000 people now, Jewish people, that are ready to go into the promised land. You folks here are the 50,000, okay? So you're alive, you're well, you're ready to go back into the promised land. The Chronicles is a history about from 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. And some people say, why should I read Chronicles? I've just finished the, Sam, the prophet Samuel and the kings. Why should I read this? Oh, here's why. Because the author of Chronicles is speaking to these people right here. And he's going to highlight certain things that are important for them. And I'm going I'm to share those highlights. Now, you folks over here, you're dead people. All right. You're just dead. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're history. Okay, you're history. You're, you're old history. And, and if, if we were to, the folks out there, out there kind of back in the hole, here's who they are. They're the ten tribes of the north. We don't even care about you folks. You're, you're done. You're, 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 you messed up a long time ago, all right? You just had Jeroboam come in there, and he made a mess of things, and, and the king of Assyria took you into captivity in 722, so you're long gone, all right? We're not, we don't even care about them. Now, that, that record is in the kings about those folks back there, but we don't care about them. What we care is about this, this, this dead history right here, okay? That's still very much alive. So the Chronicles actually begins with Adam, a genealogy. Yeah, we don't like to read genealogies, do we? Well, here's what you do when you get to a genealogy. You read it. 
You read it. And you look for names that you understand. You just circle it. Yeah, now don't do a big Bible study over it because it'll just it'll put you to sleep, all right? But just, just circle the names that you know and, and just read through it. And then the next time, because you've read through the whole Old Testament, you're going to say, hey, I remember this guy. Oh, here's another guy I recognize. Here's another guy I recognize. Just read it. So Adam's over here. And the history of the Chronicles goes all the way through Starts with David. Emphasizes, excuse me, Saul is in there too. But Saul, you're just a token mention. Okay? Because who we really want to get to is David, Solomon, Solomon's sons, who were all the kings of Judah. So we've got 20 kings in here. Okay? 20 kings. Eight of you are really good kings. Twelve of you, eh, all right. But you're, in, you're part of the record. Why? Why? There's a, there's a very important reason why. And here's why. In this group is the seed the king right here. Now the seed of the king, this kingly line started way back here. And you know the promise was given to Adam. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God says, Satan, your head is going to be crushed. You will bruise his heel, but your head is going to be crushed. And that's a prophecy of a Savior, we know that, we're going to celebrate that soon, but it's also a prophecy of a king who's coming. Now, that prophecy, there's another prophecy in the book of Genesis about chapter 17. It's given to Abraham. And, and you read Abraham's, you know, the, the promise given to Abraham, and lots of times we kind of blow over that too. Do you realize that in, in Genesis chapter 17, God said to Abraham, Abraham, kings are going to come from you. Kings? Oh, yes. A messianic king is going to come. And you see, here's a group of Jewish people that are going back to the promised land. And the seed of the Messianic king is right here. And so, we've got a history to draw from. And all of you folks right here, you are from the tribe of Judah. Too bad. You guys are gone. All right? Sorry. All right? But you folks are from the tribe of Judah. And the chronicler wants to emphasize the fact that Judah is so very, very important. Now, remember the first king. First king was Saul. Was Saul from the tribe of Judah? He wasn't. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, the warrior tribe. Now, he, he was, a, he was a, well, kind of a good warrior, kind of not, you know? He looked like a warrior, but he didn't have the guts of a warrior. And, of course, 
who comes along, a little shepherd boy, who would think a shepherd boy would ever be a warrior? He proved himself. Not because he walked up to Saul and said, hey, I'll prove myself. He didn't do that. He saw Goliath and said, why is this guy blaspheming our people? See, he had a conviction in his heart, and that was David. And David went forth, and he slew Goliath. He was the true warrior. You see, it's important that we get the right line for the messianic king. So, so the emphasis of the Chronicles is, let's go back and build the wall. Let's go back and build the temple. Let's go back and continue the seed of the Messianic king. By the way, I was just reading in Matthew in my devotions. And, uh, of course, Matthew uh, records very early the record of Joseph. Mary, next time you read that, envision Joseph of being about 17 or 18 years old. It's like, what? You know, sometimes we think, we, you know, we envision him in our modern culture. He's probably 25, you know. No, he was very young. He was very young. And if you can imagine him being a late teen... And, and, and loving this little girl, Mary, and everything just seems so cool in Nazareth. And then he finds out she's pregnant, and it's like, what does a, what does a late teen guy do? Yikes! Well, he needed an angelic visitor, didn't he? So the scripture tells us that an angel comes to Joseph. One night, in a dream... This is shocking. Joseph, how did he address Joseph? The angel, that is. He says, Joseph, apprentice carpenter of Nazareth. Did he say that? The angel from heaven came and said, Joseph, son of David. He's my great, 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 grandfather. What's that all about? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. She's going to bear a son. And he is going to save his people. Now, we think save like, okay, cross, save. Oh, yeah, that's right. Cross save. Oh, he's going to be the king, the messianic king. He is going to deliver his people and bring them into his kingdom. That's what Matthew is all about. Folks, you got a job to do here. You Jewish people right here, you've got a job to do. This is important. And the Chronicles is a reminder. It's an encouragement. 
that God is calling on you. Not only was there a messianic line that had to be continued, but there was a priestly line as well. Priestly line. The book of Hebrews tells us about the priestly line of Jesus, doesn't it? He comes, and he's a priest after the order of who? Oh, that strange guy that pops up in the book of Genesis. I mean, he just like, boom, he just appears. Where'd this guy come from? Abraham is, is bringing tithes and offerings to this priest, and it's like, where'd, where'd this guy come from? It's, it's, yeah, he's a priest, and Abraham knows he's a priest, and he even has a name, Melchizedek. And it's like, where'd he come from? He doesn't, he, he doesn't have a time of beginning. We don't know where he's going. And here he is in the book of Hebrews says, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's deliberate. Because there's coming a high priest. He's our high priest. He's our king. He's our savior. And that's Jesus. You know, there's a little Christmas story in the Chronicles, believe it or not. If you dig deep enough, it's there. Are you excited to read it yet? I hope so. All right. Read the Chronicles. It's a repeat of Jewish history for the returning Jews, for those purposes, those reasons. And so, you need to visualize this. The Jews have come back to the promised land, all right? Probably took them a couple months to make the journey from now Persia to the promised land. How many of you folks been to Israel? Any? A few of you have. Okay, I've not. I'm waiting for the millennium, all right, because uh, I believe in one, all right? So uh, anyway, some of you may not. Well, we'll be there anyway. So anyway. We're getting there, and, and, and just imagine this. They're excited to go back to their homeland. Some have never seen it. So they're making their approach from the east, and, and, and they, they, they come across the Jordan River, and they come up, and they got this big hill, and, and, and perhaps Zerubbabel, we are told, Zerubbabel, we were told Zerubbabel led the first group. I don't know if Zerubbabel had been there before or not. I don't know if he's one of those old guys or not. But he knows, on the other side of this hill is our city, Jerusalem. Oh, that's exciting. What's it going to look like? What's it going to look like? Beth and I took a trip to Colorado a couple years ago. We were in Kansas. We're driving, 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 driving forever. All of a sudden, we come over this hill, and here's this huge mountain off in the distance. What's that? It was there for two and a half hours. Pikes Peak. It's like, that is awesome. We're going to come over the hill. Actually, we're climbing from the old, well, it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be Bethany when Jesus is living. Coming up out of there, coming up over the hill. And we're standing on the Mount of Olives. Now, we don't know that we're standing on the Mount of Olives, but that's what we're standing. That's where you're standing. You're standing on the Mount of Olives. Okay, we get to see our city. What does it look like? And they look and they go, what? That's our city? It's a rock. 
a pile of stones. Well, yeah, there's kind of a wall, but mostly not. And they look, and they, the highest point they knew from their Bible history was Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. What happened on Mount Moriah? Solomon built a temple. And what's there now? Charred timbers. Broken down wall. Looks a mess. Zerubbabel, you didn't tell us it was going to look like this. It looks a mess. But there's something you need to hold on to. I first noticed it as I was reading last time in my devotions, the Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 13. Yikes. I didn't think it was going to take that much time to get the introduction in. All right, here we go. See that hump, that, that big hump of ruin over there? That high point? That's where we need to rebuild the temple. And you know, the Chronicles gives us the glorious history of the rebuilt, of the temple of Solomon. And as Solomon brings, the, 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 the temple is finished. Chapter 5, verse 1. Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. And oh, what a work it was. By the way, 1 Chronicles has the blueprint. Okay, has the blueprint. And David was the guy, David, as you remember, David was the guy who wanted to build the temple. And God said, no, you can't because you're a man of blood, you're a man of war. I'm going to have your son do this. You can't do it. Oh, Lord, let me do something. Now, the kings, the record of the kings doesn't give us the blueprint of the temple like Chronicles does. You read through the Chronicles and you find that David was a master architect. He was a master administrator. He was a master planner. He had the plan. And Solomon followed the plan. It is time for Solomon now to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And what a celebration day that was. Verse number 13 tells us, verse 12, excuse me, tells us there were 120 priests with trumpets. The people were there. It was just a massive crowd. Now we're, we're back here, okay? We're back here. We're back here in the history. We're back here in the history. You folks are looking at the history and going, no, 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 no. Yeah, look at the rubble, but hey, look at the history. Look at what Solomon did. Look what God did through Solomon. And as this is taking place, they begin to sing a song. It was the duty, verse 13, of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised, 
What's the song? Show you in a minute. When the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord. And here was the song. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Easily sung here. In all of Solomon's wealth. Returning exiles. Can you sing that song? What are we going to hang on to? How are we going to do this? What's going to motivate us? It ought to be the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, here's what the steadfast love of the Lord is. Maybe your translation says loving kindness, mercy, or grace. It's the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed, by definition, is this. It is God's condescending love to demonstrate and pour forth His loving kindness for His that's I said. Now, does that word condescending kind of bug you a little bit? Like, wait a minute, that's not such a good word, condescending. That's kind of bad. No. In the Hebrew, it's a good thing. Because we have a transcendent God who's high. And what's he going to do? He's going to come down and pour out his loving kindness, his grace, his mercy for his people. What's that look like? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word did what? The Word came and dwelt among us. You know that word dwell that John uses? It means let's pitch a tent. Let's live in a tent. The Word came, the eternal Word came, the Creator Word came, and He lived with us in His tent. He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. That is condescending love. Another illustration of that might be this. John chapter 8. Jesus is at a feast. And as He's there, the Pharisees brought this woman taken in adultery. To him, because he they wanted him to condemn her. Did he? No. Remember, he knelt down and wrote in the dirt a couple of times as he's dealing with this situation, and one by one the Pharisees left because Jesus said, Okay, the guy who has no sin, you cast the first stone at her. Go ahead. And in that condescending love that Christ demonstrated to this woman, he looks up and he says to her, where are your accusers? And she says, well, they're all gone. He says, I'm not going to condemn you. You go and sin no more. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life here today. You might be looking at rubbles of relationships Rubbles of circumstances, rubbles of health issues, and you go, so that's what I've got to deal with? 
May I say to you today that God wants to show to you his steadfast love. Building project, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus unto good works. Yeah, but that's for the younger folks. No, it's not. It's for the living, not for the dead. It's for the living. It's for those who are alive that God has given grace and mercy and life to. Yeah, but Lord, I'm just, I'm just tired. I've called you to go pick up a rock, build the wall, because I am demonstrating my steadfast love. You know that great Romans 8 passage? I'll close with that. Romans 8 goes like this. And we, and we know for those who love God because we've realized his steadfast love to us, all things work together for good for those who are the called according, according to his purpose. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Returning Jews, you've got a task. If God is for us, who can be against us? And Ezra and Nehemiah talk about that. Plenty, plenty, plenty of pushback. I just want a life that doesn't have any pushback. Okay die. Okay, that's what you have to do. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? A dismal situation, a dismal circumstance. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 37, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who demonstrates his ascent, his steadfast love. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God where he condescended to his people and poured out his grace and mercy to us. And here we are. A blessed people. Because a generation embraced the steadfast love of the Lord. Would you and your generation embrace the steadfast love of the Lord to pass it on to the next. So they can be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in them and in us will perform it until the day when we see the King of kings and the Lord of lords to fulfill the prophecy of being that messianic king for us. So let's pray. Father God.
Thank you. Thank you for the encouragement, the instruction of the Chronicles. God, you have reminded us of your goodness, the purpose and plan in your providence, your ability and authority in your sovereignty. And God, you've given us a record where you've dealt with people we're of weak constitution. We're weak. And yet we marvel at what you do through us. And we marvel at your goodness, at your steadfast love granted to each and every one who will sit before you in faith, like David did, like Solomon did like Jehoshaphat did, like Josiah did, like Zacchaeus did, and Nicodemus. Lord, thank you for your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Take it, son.